Um, I guess I should check that. Yeah. I, fig- I, I figure we're always recording, so I just kind of jump into things now. <laughs> Whoa. Sorry, did you hear that noise? Whoa, that was awesome. Whatever that was, we need to include it. <laughs> it, it sounded like Halloween. Um, it did sound like Halloween. I was looking for, and I don't know why I didn't just pay for something. I was looking for like a free timer app in the app store so that I would know how long we had been talking. All right, right. And I downloaded one called Howler. So it sounds like Halloween. <laughs> it did. I So it when it starts up, it goes into like timer mode where you say like countdown from whatever time. Right. Uh, and then it howls at the end of that. And it always comes up as zero. So and you have to hit command S to put it in stopwatch mode, which is what I want. And uh, I forgot to do that. So I just hit space bar and it, it counted down from zero and it howled. That's, that's pretty awesome, though. I like the howl. Yeah, pretty intense. <laughs> Anyhow, so we're recording. <clears throat> so we'll just jump into things, I suppose. So, Jeff, Lou Reed died. Yeah. You, you heard about this, right? I did. I did. Um, Twitter. You still wouldn't... sound puzzled. I am. So I've never spent enough time getting into Lou Reed and the Velvet Underground. Oh, that's why you're puzzled. I thought you were puzzled by something technologically. Yeah, you know, I, I can actually probably agree with you that I haven't spent enough time on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that I saw him live a number of years ago at Lollapalooza. Mm-hmm. And it was, to say lackluster would be an understatement. Really? I, yeah, I mean, I, I understood. There, there are certain artists that you go to see that you kind of... Um, even though they might be legend, legendary, you kind of go into it with an understanding that you don't actually know the bulk of their material. So you're probably, you're just there for the experience. You're not really there because you're a super fan or because you're going to be singing along to every word of the show. You know, I mean, there, there are a lot of artists out there. Like, like I'm trying to think of, a, of, of another good example. Um, I saw Tool. I don't, then clearly different levels. Tool is not, you know, Velvet Underground Lou Reed, but right. still for me, I don't know the bulk of their bulk of their catalog, so but I just went for the experience, knowing that I wasn't going to know every song and every song wasn't going to be my jam. But when I saw Lou Reed, it was just, and I think that at first I thought I had just seen a really weird show mm. of of his, and then I uh, I kind of talked to other people who had seen him and who actually love him and said that no no that's just basically what Lou does, which is makes a lot of noise on stage for an extended period of time with no real song structure and just calls it art. Hmm. Which, you know, I mean, there's something to be said for it, I suppose. But it really just kind of turned me off to the entire thing. And it's not to say that, you know, you know, what is it? It's not like, you know, shut up and play the hits. You know, it's not like, you know, all I want to hear is walk on the wild side for, you know, an hour and a half. I'm not that guy. Oh, well, I mean, I always want to hear that for an hour and a half but fair i mean that's not the only thing i want to hear exactly but but it's just at the same time it's like i don't want to hear an atonal saxophone solo over pale blue eyes for 15 minutes Hmm. and that's what happened that's exactly what happened that yeah i could see that being a turnoff and it was just kind of annoying and it was just you know you're kind of standing there being like well i'm clearly gonna watch it it's lou reed well for me you know it's like i'm clearly gonna watch it it's lou reed I want to see, you know, I want to see him, you know, do his thing, but it just kind of all wound up being like this 
experience that if I had ever gotten another chance to see him again, I probably wouldn't have went. Huh. Yeah. So, I mean, I use walk on the wild side a lot when I'm uh, evaluating things at work. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something about, uh, you know, when the, the, the female like chorus kind of thing comes in. Yeah. The do to dudes. Yeah. Right. So have you ever like paid attention to the space on that phrase? the sense of oh, yeah. space in it and the way it starts yeah. out really far away and it gets really, really, really close to you. Absolutely. Um, it's actually, uh, less impressive. I think when you listen to it closely, um, but fair, fair, but it's still a cool effect. It's like, like for a pop song, it's, it's an interesting thing to do. Absolutely. For a pop song and for the time, what, what year would that have been? Walk in the wild side. That was what on, transformer so probably like 73 74 right so uh my guess is that that was done without without automation on the board oh uh, yeah probably if i mean if it was done in 72 or 73 74 yeah that's my guess um so so the thing about it that i hear as as technically not as impressive is that it sounds to me when i listen really closely like somebody turning down the reverb and turning up the dry signal and you can hear it. It's not as natural as you might be able to achieve today is my thought. But, but isn't it, but isn't it cool that they really thought to do that? I mean, you weren't going to yes. get, yeah. I, mean, yes, I totally agree. I totally, totally agree. It's very cool. But when you listen closely and you're like, Oh yeah, it really sounds like they're in a big space. And then instead of it sounding like, Oh, the space is getting smaller and they're getting closer. I hear, somebody turning down their reverb and turning up the dry signal. So there. Yeah. I still Seven, think it's 72. Really cool. Yeah. 72. Was it on transformer? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Awesome. And did Louie, I did rather uh, Bowie produce that one. Bowie produced it. It received yeah. wide radio coverage despite it's touching on taboo topics such as transsexuality, drugs, male prostitution, and oral sex. Hmm. Very taboo. In the United States, RCA released the single using an edited version of the song without the reference to oral sex. Now, under normal circumstances, I would kind of, I mean, I almost feel like that's, for somebody like Lou Reed, I mean, all right, you know, you're not referring, you're not, you're not thinking about Paul McCartney here, who, you know, again, clearly a genius, and not, not, not ragging on geniuses, but it's like, Lou Reed, why would he even want RCA to release it without, it's like, He's already like kind of a fringe player as it is. He was part of the whole Warhol scene, the Velvet Underground. It's like, why would he really give a fuck if RCA released it if they were going to take out like part of the, you know, the gut of the song? That is a, a really interesting question. I'm I'm kind of it, just based on what I have heard of him and his penchant for not caring about reviews at all. Um, you know, you know, really that outsider persona that he cultivated, I am shocked that he was willing to have it released at all in an edited form as opposed to having it receive, you know, almost no exposure unedited. Right. Cause he seems like he didn't give a fuck. I mean, I, I read somewhere that he like, he went from the velvet underground when the velvet underground all broke up. He worked at his father's law firm for some like for like forty dollars a week, hmm. like before releasing his original solo album and then subsequently Transformer. You know, because he just was like over it. He was just done. 
Interesting. You know, he didn't. He doesn't really seem like a dude who who gives a fuck. You know, which is yeah. You know, it's which kind of shocks me that he would have even allowed anybody to release it with the uh, with the edited version. Yeah, that is that is really interesting. I um, we'll have to do some research. There's got to be a good story behind that. Maybe Bowie convinced him to do it. Could Who be. knows? It peaked well, at number sixteen in the Hot 100 singles chart in '73. Still, oh. a, still a very strange song to hit the Hot 100. If you it, ask me, it recharted this week after the announcement of his death. No shit, that's awesome. It's a great fucking song. I mean, it really is. It's like when you, when you listen back to it, it's just like everything about it is really is really pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah so. I mean, it's, so I just haven't given enough attention to the rest of his catalog, right? Uh, I mean, if, if, if you ask me, what you really need to listen to is just Transformer. Okay. <laughs> Transformer is an epically good album. I mean, I have it on vinyl. I mean, the singles are Wonderful, Perfect Day, and Satellite of Love, and Clearly Walk on the Wild Side. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, and then you have a lot of, you know, Lou Reedisms <laughs> that are kind of in there, you know, just kind of strange stuff. But I mean, he really benefited immensely from Bowie's... Uh, um, Bowie's production on it. And then he does, I don't, you know, was Pale Blue Eyes a Velvet Underground song or was that a Lou Reed solo song? Mm, Pale Blue Eyes. Oh, the wonders of the internet. Uh, Velvet Underground, written by Lou Reed, obviously. Yeah. Um, All right. Well, that, that, that was a really great, uh, that was a really fucking great uh, song, rather, as well. I mean, but, you know, I don't know though. It's like he just had so much. It's like, I think that it's just so much weird, strange material with the Velvet Underground and by himself that it's like I just, you know, unless you're really, really into what Lou Reed does, I can't imagine anybody just being able to dive in. It's like you know, just to be able to like accept it right now. It's like you have to really. It's such a vague, like obtuse thing to say, but. Lou Reed is Lou Reed, and you just kind of have to be into that idea of like very monotone singing about very kind of out there subject matter with you know very noisy instrumentation at times that really makes no sense. You know, it's it's art rock at its finest. Yeah, it's art rock is what it is, and you know, you know, I think the Velvet Underground ha- again had amazing songs individually but you know as, as a whole catalog you know I, I never really understood the uh the cohesion and I, I couldn't really get into it you know i'm always impressed when i look back at bands in that era that we think of as just having massive output right yeah yeah like the uh the velvet underground was active from 64 to 73 mm-hmm. right in in the original run right um the Beatles were active for less than 10 years, right? Yeah, well, they were active for, what, like, from 62 to 70? I think so. Yeah. Um, so, man, that's crazy. And you think about all the time we've wasted and how little we've accomplished. Uh, that's, a, that's a subject for another time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, uh, I don't mean to be a downer. I'm talking about myself, not you, by the way. way. To br- way to bring me down there, <laughs> I think uh, that... I, well, I think it's remarkable, but I mean, it is sad. I mean, even if you take you know us out of it, if you just think of um, you know artists who are actually given an opportunity to have massive output, you know, artists who are given backing and you know promotion, 
and they release an album what every once once every five years yeah yeah it's like back then artists would like routinely release two a year if you know it's like at least one a year right a lot of times two a year <laughs> yeah, you know absolutely. just because they, they, they wanted to keep on pushing it and, you know i mean it's just i think that it's hard you know because the people back like artists that like them you know they realized that they're give, being given an incredible opportunity you know and they and they didn't want to uh they didn't want to waste it well yeah I, there's also an element of uh, i mean singles really drove the market right when you certainly don't they you, still? yeah yeah absolutely I, I guess you and i and probably anybody who might be listening to this are album people but um singles really drive the market so cranking out a couple a year is sort of it's still true today right if you want to stay at the top of the pop charts if you're less concerned about um you know songwriting and if you're more concerned about pop music placement kind of stuff you're cranking it out and and i guess even if you how did i said that wrong um obviously the beatles velvet underground were all about songwriting and stuff but when you look at like pop artists today who are not performing original music or, you know, they have uh, other people writing music that they're performing, mm-hmm. it, it seems easier to crank it out at the pace you have to crank out singles today. Um, it is maybe more impressive looking back a few decades at artists who were able to keep up that level of production when they were also doing the songwriting. Um, oh well clearly i mean but you know you have you have to kind of take a step back and you know you you know you don't get there's not another beatles right now there really isn't i was actually just having a man this is going to be a very meandering podcast by the way yeah absolutely (laughs) and and we'll get we'll get to an actual topic in in a second but i was actually just speaking with somebody about the fact that it's like i can't actually think of you know Oh Jesus! This is, we're going down a completely different uh, l- line here. But to finish on the song or anything, you do have to look at the fact that even back in the day, you know, decades ago, you still had the Brill Building. You still had you know people pumping out you know songs for other people to sing. It's like it's more noticeable now. It's it's been brought more to the forefront. But you know, pop artists back then still didn't write their own shit. Mm-hmm. You know, the Monkees weren't writing their own stuff. Sonny and Cher weren't writing their own stuff. Yeah, you know, it's like, it just you know, it's like, and honestly, if you look at the top ten singles from you know, sixty-seven, sixty-eight, sixty-nine, you know, and backwards, it's like you know, those are probably the top ten singles. Yeah, sure, it's not the ones that we're like reveling in and remembering, but it's you know, you kind of forget that you know, people still liked crappy pop music back in the sixties as much as they like crappy pop music now. Right. You know, and so it's like, yeah, it's really impressive. But there are still people out there now who are writing their own songs and who are charting. You know, I mean, God, you know, I hate Coldplay. I really hate Coldplay. But, you know, they write their own music, man. Mm-hmm. And they have, you know, huge international hits. No you know, doubt. It's like, and, 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 I'm not, and I'm not trying to at all in any universe compare them to the Beatles. But it's like, you know, it's the same like level of success that they have. You know, as far as like, you know, touring success, you know, they're selling out stadiums and, you know, they have international hits, you know, and they they have multi-platinum albums. It just is what it is. You know, it's like you still do have people writing their own music, you know, and I think that it's probably not as uh, it's not the ratio is probably not as different as one would might as one might think. Uh, yeah, no, I'm sure like, like underneath it all, the ratio is very similar, but I, I think just 
the way the industry has evolved. Yeah. Um, the things that the industry percolates to the top, it, that's a very different mix than it might have been. Yes. All right. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was going to say, do you know that this year um, Nirvana is uh, up for induction eligibility to be inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? I did see that. And who are they up against? They're up against... Um, oh, like, they're getting in. I mean, but it's like Kiss and uh, Yes and just like so, a bunch of random people. Hmm. Um, Soundgarden should be up soon, they should, if they're if not already. Yeah, I think maybe they were in the list. I can't remember. I was looking at it and I was thinking, oh yeah, Nirvana, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, Soundgarden should get the Yeah, but that's it. I was looking at the list and I, I, I can't remember who it was. Uh, let's see. Rock... And roll Hall of Fame, but what eligibility? It's it's after twenty five years, you right. you're able to be eligible. But what I was gonna say, it's like you look that up, but it's like you know clearly, it's like the next the next like five years, five or six years, and you know you could say that the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is you know a uh, stupid tradition. But um, what what I'm curious about is it's like over the next you know five or six years, you're gonna see a lot of these bands from the nineties who are going to get in, who are, you know, revered, mm-hmm. you know, be a Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains, Stone Roses, Oasis, you know, you could like, you know, just list bands off, you know, as, you know, as long as, long as your arm, you know, it's just like, there's just a ton, you know what yeah. I mean? Even Jane's Addiction isn't, isn't in there yet. And I'm sure that they'll fall in there eventually. You know, there's just a ton, a ton of bands from that era, you know, fucking sublime. If you wanted to go there, smashing pumpkins, you know, right. it just, it just, it just keeps on going. But, you know, it was sorry. I was thinking of Hall and Oates. Hall and Oates are on the uh, list. And snap! Uh, they should get in too. That's it. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. I mean, oh, is it only one art? One act can get in this year? Oh no, no, no! no. It's like seven acts every year. Okay, all right. So, yeah. so it could be both Nirvana and Hall and Oates. One can only hope for a super jam with Dave Grohl and uh, Hall and Oates. Come on, man! I know he's all about <laughs> these uh, bizarre super, super jams. Yeah. So well, maybe it can be I, Nirvana plus Hall and Oates. That would be amazing. Seriously, that would be amazing. But what I was going to say is that it's like when you think about it, it's like, so now it's like we're in this golden age of people getting inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You know, it's just like it's going to be, you know, epic every year. It's just going to be all these, like, you know, kind of like, you know, 90s rock acts and probably some hip hop artists that get in there too. You know, but then if you're thinking like 10 or 15 years in the future, aside from like, you know, and, and, you know, I'm not really the biggest, you know, champion of the White Stripes. I think that Jack White has some really interesting ideas. But aside from people like the White Stripes, who's really going to be there that people are going to be sitting, like, sitting here saying, well, obviously they should get in. So I think that maybe I know exactly what you're saying. And I think we have a skewed perspective on this um, because we are of the age where Nirvana and the other acts you listed dominated our they, the, the years during which we they, were... Hmm? They didn't, though. They didn't. That's the thing, Jeff. It's like they were years mm. before us. They I'm, were, but Nirvana I, 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 still I'm talking like dominated. 90s. So I, How when, about our high school years, like 98 to 2002? No, I, I know exactly what you're saying. but I, So I don't know if you had the experience, but playing in garage bands in high school... Nirvana still loomed incredibly large. They, they were still a huge influence over that whole decade. And I bet if you went and asked a 16-year-old today, uh, Nirvana's just whatever, you know? It happened in the past. It's it's probably as foreign as the Velvet Underground to the average 16-year-old today. You could be absolutely right. But still, I think that they're, 
that there is still a perspective that, you know, it's like, you know, I, cause I'm not even asking like for a band that came out in the past three years where it's like, I can clearly say I'm probably out of touch at this point. Cause I'm just written off. Mm-hmm. Most yeah. of my band, I, I'm even trying to think of a band from like 1996 on right. like who released their debut album from 1996 on that. I can say unequivocally should be considered a rock and roll royalty. Well, I got to think like, about that. That's going to be controversial. That's our homework. We'll see if yeah, we can come I mean, up with anything from and, 1996. And I, and I, I have a few that I could spit out, but it's like all of them seem just really lukewarm and tepid. Hmm. You know, I mean, Coldplay is on there. You know, it's like, you know, because yeah. they've released many multi-platinum albums, they're international superstars. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the White Stripes are there just because Jack White is kind of did, you know, for that moment revolutionize what people were listening to on the rock radio, mm-hmm. you know, perhaps the black keys, if they can get their shit together and release a couple of be- better albums than the last one was. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, but even all of those just don't feel like epic. You know, they don't feel monumental. There's, you know, and, and, there's something in there though. I, I think we've just got to think about it. The, the strokes yeah. maybe. Uh, I was never a big Strokes fan. Neither was I. Exactly. It's like they released one good album, and then after that, it all kind of went downhill. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I, this is this has become a uh, a rock and roll art. Uh, just rambling in general on rock and roll. Yeah. So the the only thing I have to to contribute to this before we wrap it up is I read over the weekend um, Pitchfork did an oral history of Elliot Smith. Mm, I've never been the biggest fan, but I, but, but his, uh, his output, well, he probably released before 96, didn't he? Um, his big stuff came later in, I want to say 97 was when Miss Misery happened on the Goodwill Hunting soundtrack. Um, and that was what really blew up for him. Yeah. I'm actually, I'm checking right now. He was still of that era of like really talented shit man but but we're Rock. talking post 96 now how about ryan how about ryan adams that was all that was early 2000s heartbreaker was 2000 i think or 99 he deserves to get in yeah right so so i think there are artists <laughs> there we just have to go looking for them all right homework homework i know i got you so <laughs> miss misery was featured in the 1997 film goodwill hunting and nominated for best original song at the 1998 academy awards was it really yeah, yeah. So the, the, I'll I'll, uh, I'll put a link to this oral history. It was really interesting. Um, I I missed a lot of what was going on with him. Like he he was up against Celine Dion for the Titanic, Titanic? theme song that year. Yeah. Wow. Which shit luck. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty bad. I mean, the song was awful, man. But come on, you, nobody's beating that shit. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, the whole stage, I guess, when he went to the Academy Awards that year was done like the deck of the Titanic. So, really? Yeah, I mean, there's no way anybody but Titanic was winning anything. That's hilarious. <laughs> Who wrote that song, Dan Warren? Uh, the Celine Dion song? Yeah. I don't know. Uh, My Heart Will probably. Go On. My yeah, Heart did. Will Go On. Mm, my heart will go on wikipedia uh love theme from titanic with music by james horner lyrics by will jennings and production by simon franklin Hmm. recorded by Uh, celine dion 
I remember Diane Warren wrote that uh, other really awful song. I don't want to miss a thing that Aerosmith did. Oh man, they didn't write that. Oh come on, are you kidding me? No, Aerosmith hasn't written their own material in since like what Toys in the Attic in '73. Oh, I had no idea they weren't writing the crap that they're putting out. <laughs> well, doesn't it kind of make you respect them? A, I don't know if it makes you respect them a little more or a little less. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, in a way, I'm glad they're not the ones writing that crap. But exactly, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean they they wrote those like awesome huge cheesy 80s numbers that they did like crazy and crying and love oh. in an elevator it's like come on it's like as, as awful as people say they are they're awesomely cheesy in, in a great way yeah yeah you know to- I mean? totally uh we actually jane made me watch the uh the crazy music video again the other day oh with alicia silverstone yeah 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 come uh, on that was a huge part of my youth it, oh, it was very enjoyable <laughs> <laughs> Anyhow, though, well, we we actually did originally have a uh, have have a game plan for this for this podcast, didn't we? We did, and I think we can still talk about a couple things before we have to before we run out of time. Um, we're, uh, according to my clock, we got like eight minutes if we want to keep this under. All right. Well, um, minutes. You know, uh, let's see. We ha- we ha- I'm looking at the punch list here. Uh, TuneCore was on the punch list. Do you want to go to that? We can probably cover that pretty quickly. Actually, you know what I want to go to? I want to go to the death of music scenes because we talked about Lou Reed. Okay. And this is a little bit more of an epic one that we might have to do a part two on next time. That's but, know, that's a big one. Is that is that an eight minute topic? Uh, maybe it's not. Yeah. All right. Well, stay stay tuned next next time for the death of the music scene. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It would have fit so well in to tie it into Lou Reed though with his New York scene. Yeah, we can we can talk about Lou Reed more next week after awesome. I spend well, more time home. listening to yeah. his catalog. Sounds great. Listen to some live stuff, anyways. All right, so Jeff and I were talking about how to get your music out there in the internet marketplace, right? Right. So I'm in the last stages of finishing up this record with my band, and uh, we've been trying to figure out the right channels to distribute it. So I mm-hmm. think uh, mm-hmm. the two things well, that seem pretty clear. Well, yeah. There were two channels that we wanted to grab a hold of. Um, Though, I think the the thing that we like the most as a distribution platform is Bandcamp. Yeah, yeah, it, I, 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 yeah. I haven't actually used Bandcamp. I've had experience buying stuff off Bandcamp, but it seems pretty uh, pretty reasonable. Um, the long term, like looking at it in aggregate, uh, you take about eighty percent of the sales. Right. Right. Um, with Bandcamp, I think I did the math, and it came out to like seventy-eight point nine percent, or something like that. Almost okay. eighty. Um, pretty good deal. Pretty straightforward. Um, what I really like is that the music is available in a high-quality format. Um, people can download it in like wave and lossless resolution. Hmm. Um, I didn't know that. Yeah. So. You know, all around it seems pretty good. They they seem to be pretty indie music friendly, and and that's what I like. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I I have always kind of seen that the Bandcamp is where most of the the indie artists go to really distribute everything. And I mean, I, I think uh, I, I think that that is generally, you know, they they are very artist friendly. I didn't realize the lossless stuff. I mean, that's awesome. I mean, next time I should probably go Bandcamp. What we always did is we always went through. Uh, through TuneCore, right? Is which was kind of uh, what we were talking about. And TuneCore, I think that at, at the at the moment when we when we were going through it, we uh, 
we really enjoyed the fact that you basically signed up for one site and it was a yearly subscription fee and they just took care of everything. <laughs> right. So, you know, it's like, so. you know, and, and it wasn't just like, oh, we're going to put you on iTunes. It's fine. It's like we, we would get royalties from iTunes, from Amazon, from eMusic, from like, mm-hmm. I think there were like a dozen or something like that, just different music services. And they also put you on internet radios and stuff like that. And they just kind of like push you to all that kind of that stuff. It's like, you know, and it kind of felt like a hands-off approach. In retrospect, it probably wasn't the best idea, but it felt like a hands-off approach in the moment. It was just like, yeah, sure, why not? <laughs> yeah, yeah, so, so um, uh, we were looking at TuneCore also, be, mostly because we want to get to iTunes, right? Right, well, that's uh, where everybody wants to get to, right? Right, right. and uh, the, the deal, so I was looking at it, there are a few options for this, right? You can go through TuneCore, you can go through CD Baby. Um, there's actually a list... I'll see if I can find it. Uh, iTunes approved aggregators is what it's called. I'll put a link Mm -hmm. to it in. So it's actually a list of all of the companies that are aggregators of independent music. You cannot work directly with Apple for iTunes uh, unless you have 20 albums that you want to sell. So, or unless you're a major Oh, no, because the major labels have tw- over 20 albums. The major labels who right. work with a- Apple, I got you, right? Exactly. So if you don't have 20 albums, if you're not a label or an artist with a significant back catalog, Apple doesn't want to deal with you. Um, so they have these approved aggregators, and uh, there's a whole list of them. CD Baby and TuneCore are just two of them. Um, and so the deal is you basically have to go through one of these aggregators to deal with iTunes. And... Um, yeah, they're they're all very similar. Uh, I was trying to compare CD Baby and TuneCore, and they basically can both put your music in all the same places. You know, iTunes, Amazon, Spotify, um, RDO, all the places you you need to be. Right. Um, but the uh, pricing model is is the difference between these things. So, uh, I think. I'm trying to remember what I had found. TuneCore charges you like forty nine ninety five a year or something like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Per, per album, right? Is it per album? I thought. I think it's per album. Um, and uh, let's see, was it forty nine ninety five a year? And then CD Baby is a little bit less. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay, so TuneCore is a subscription thing, so you pay. the first year and then $50 for each subsequent year per album. Um, With CD Baby, you pay, uh, I think it was $29 up front or maybe it was $50 up front and then nothing for subsequent years, but they take 9% of your sales. So, Hmm. yeah. So you kind of have to look at how much you're planning to sell. Um, I don't mean to put you on the spot, Keith. Are you comfortable talking about any of the numbers like sales Bellicose did? <clears throat> oh man, I'd be totally comfortable if I remembered any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, were, I have, were you selling like a hundred dollars a year or were you selling oh, like, no, like a thousand dollars a year? Yeah. More, more, more in that, more in that scope. I mean, probably even over that a little bit. Okay. All right. So I, I, from what I found then, um, you probably absolutely were doing the right thing going through TuneCore, right? Yeah, no, I mean, we, we would, I mean, they, there was a moment where we would do, I mean, it, it, you know, at least at least $100 a month, if not more than that. That's awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, but that would be, and it was, it, it kind of ranged. I mean, it's like the band was around for a while, so it's like certain years would be awesome, other years would not be so awesome. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Um, so, yeah, so in in the ballpark you're talking about, you know, then uh, I think the TuneCore subscription model made more sense. Right. Um, and I, I did them, of course, I put together a spreadsheet, right, and did the math, and... Um, you know, where the break-even point is between services changes based on how long out in time you want to look, right? Because mm-hmm. TuneCore is charging you every year. Um, but depending on, you know, if you want to look two, three, four years out, somewhere between two and $400 is sort of the trade-off. If you're selling less than that per year, then the CD Baby thing could save you some money. And if you're selling more than that, then TuneCore could save you some money. Um, Either so, one kind of... But in 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 the end, either one works really well. I mean, it's like I, from from what I understand, everybody does love Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. Um, or sorry, not Bandcamp. I loved Tune. So, sorry, I'm, I'm getting my Tune Core CD Baby. CD Baby. Everybody does like uh, CD Baby that I've seen. I haven't used it. I liked Tune Core a lot, though. Right. So yeah. um, while I was searching for this stuff, I was googling around trying to get people's takes on the two of them and and it's basically a wash right some people like one right. some people like the other but there there were no real like solid reasons to go with one over the other other than price um but something popped up in my search um have you ever heard of distro kid no d-i-s-t-r-o-k-i-d.com i think this is a pretty new service um you can sign up for free and they give you one upload um, mm-hmm. or you can pay and let's see how much is it if I click upgrade. So musician, a musician plan is nineteen ninety nine a year. So, uh, 40% of the cost of TuneCore, and that gets you unlimited songs and albums upload, but only one artist slash band name. And if you are a label, you can get unlimited songs and more starting at $36 a year. Um, so very, very low frills interface, um, but it can get you onto iTunes and Amazon and Spotify, the stuff that is important to us. And it's basically just a very low overhead, like low staff. Most it's just a, you know, an internet startup, right? So relying on computers in their database and there's no phone number you can call for support. It's email support only. So you're trading off some stuff there, but it seems like they're maybe set to disrupt some of this tune core and CD baby business. That would be interesting. I got to check them out tonight. I'll do some homework on them and figure that one out too. Yeah. Distro kid. Distro kid. Yeah. D I S T R O K I D. Um, so the one, the one real sort of hang up on all this stuff is you cannot easily switch aggregators, right? Um, once you've gone through an aggregator, the only way to switch is to issue a takedown notice to your current aggregator and then sign up with the aggregator you want to switch to and repost everything, which means there will be a period of time where your stuff is not in the store. And I have no idea what that means for continuity of... Like like if you continue to have the same ratings or reviews or anything like that. Yeah, I assume all that stuff goes away. Probably. Yeah, so... It's it seems like a scary decision, right? Because it seems like you pick one and you're going to be stuck there for quite a while, uh, right? So yeah, I don't really know. Uh, it's an intimidating choice. But I think I, you probably should to choose one and stick with one. 
Yeah, I totally agree. And I, I have a feeling we're going to do DistroKit just because I don't anticipate we're going to sell a lot. Um, I think Bandcamp would be a better avenue for us. Um, yeah. But, you know, you, you want to have it in the iTunes store for your parents or Absolutely. whatever. <laughs> Absolutely. I think DistroKit probably sounds like the right move for you guys. You know, I mean, it's, it's just for what your aims are as it is. You know what I mean? It's like, if you know, it's, it was different for us, you know, when we decided to go with Tune Core, it's like we had a different kind of like level of playing field, I suppose, if that's so, if that's, you know, kind of, if that makes any sense, you know, it's like we were, you know, I don't know. It's like, we, we, we had, we already at that moment had like, we, we knew how much we were going to sell at least in the first couple of months. And so it made it totally worth it for us. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, you guys play, you, you guys did play out a lot more than uh, my right. band ever will. And you, I think, were the type of band that would be more inspiring for people to download your music. Your music was uplifting, anthemic, party music. Yeah, um, it, was pop, it was pop rock. It was great. Yeah, yeah exactly. And and uh, my band <laughs> but plays but, dark. But people, yeah, but when people see that in clubs, it's like they're going to be drunk and be like, oh my God, I want that. Right, right. Hopefully so. you can inspire them to click download on their phones while they're still in front of you. I think that happened a couple times. That was inspiring to me. Yeah, right. I mean, so <laughs> suddenly technology was working for me. Yeah. Against yeah. Me. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, cool. So I, I think we'll probably do DistroKid. And if that's the case, I'll be sure to, I don't know, I'll, I'll talk about our experiences on here or you write something to. up and Absolutely. post it. Yeah, because there's really, Absolutely. I was looking for reviews of DistroKid and there are very few out there. It seems like the service went online earlier this year and just got connected to... I think they said Amazon was the last one, the last big one they were trying to get, and they just turned that on like a month ago. So, yeah, yeah. we'll see. The other I thing that's it. scary is, you know, these other companies have a 10-year track record, and DistroKid right. has like a one-month track record, and maybe they go away, and then we lose all the, you know, all the headway we had made. I don't know. Or maybe you're at the forefront of a revolution, Jeff. That's, that's, that's it, man. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm going with forefront of a revolution. Yeah. Anything else we should talk about tonight? No, we've already primed it for next week in the death of the music scenes. Okay. All right. I like it. That's a good place to leave it. It was a good discussion. Some practical knowledge there at the end. Yes. I like absolutely. It. And then we'll, uh, I think we're, I think we're going to dive in with, so we got some good homework for next week. Next week's going to be a pretty tough music discussion. Yeah, of course. All right. All right, man. Night, Jeff. Night, Keith. <laughs>